Welcome to the table. My name is Brett and I'm the pastor here and I just want to welcome all of you. All of you, you uh, I, see, you know, that's the one thing I love about the table. We got a little bit of everyone, you know, um, there is uh, young and old and rich and poor and gay and straight. And I mean, just all the all the things. And I want you to know that uh, you are welcome here, wanted and welcome here. And uh, that kind of fits with the title of my message tonight, which is inclusive, inclusive. This is uh, for those of you who've been with us last few weeks. Um, we've been in a series where we're, because we're a new community, we're kind of just walking through our core values, uh, just because there's a lot of new folks here. And so they're kind of like, you know, feeling out like, who are these people? And so this is uh, a great, I think, series to just kind of give you a feel for kind of who we are. And so we're walking through our five core values. Um, so uh, those five, let me give those to you now. And we're, we're just taking each of these like one per week. So don't worry if you don't like get them all written down. We will cover them later. Um, but they are thoughtful, inclusive, eclectic, communal, and vulnerable. Uh, and so last week we talked about what it means to be a thoughtful um, Christian, a thoughtful person, um, someone who isn't, uh, isn't just sort of barreling forward as a know-it-all in the world, but someone who can ask good questions, someone who thinks it through, who's a little bit patient, who, who um, yeah, doesn't assume they have all the answers, but can be curious and can um, yeah, really press into uh, their own faith and even the beliefs and ideas of others. Uh, and that's, I think, really important. And in our day and age, uh, I think we lack often thoughtfulness. You know, so this is part of who we are is we want to be a thoughtful people. Um, so uh, also our kids, our kids ministry, which you can probably hear over here a little bit. Um, so last week, they're kind of tracking with us in the series. And so they took some time uh, to try to engage thoughtfulness. So they wrote uh, thank you letters to Pleasant Valley, uh, the church where, uh, that we rent. Um, and uh, just to say, like, thank you so much for letting us be here. And so that's a they're pretty cool. Our kids, we got to maybe we have to do something because now they're like kind of showing us up our kids, you know. So um, so that's thoughtfulness and uh, that we are working to get our kind of a podcast out that will have all of our sermons. We've been recording them, but they're just kind of in a backlog right now. So you'll be able probably I think probably this week um, we should get be pretty close to getting those out there. So you can go back and listen to that one. Um, but so that's that was last week this week. Uh, the title of the message, as I said, is inclusive. So we're going to be unpacking that one. Um, so let's see. So this is, this is actually um, kind of a little summary. If you've ever been on our website and read through our values, then you uh, have, you've heard, uh, or you've, you'll catch this, this phrase this is actually something Juanita, our very own Juanita Johnson wrote these and she is really good. And so this is, this is how she kind of captured the essence of inclusive. She said this, we are a radically inclusive community. The reactionary mind is constantly searching for an enemy to exclude. Oh, is that not our world? It's, just, it's almost like we're looking for the enemy. It's not even that we have to bump up against them. It's almost like we create them. It's like in, insanity. The, the reactionary mind always looking for someone to exclude, the enemy to exclude. But we keep searching for new people to bring to the table. This is one of the reasons we chose this name. I love the image of the table. Right. This is where enemies um, move from enemy to friend, from gain understanding. She continues, we keep stretching, stretching, stretching the definitions of who might be valued and welcomed into God's kingdom. No matter what socioeconomic bracket, racial identity, sexual identity, mental stability or moral standing. 
We want to create a tent big enough to hold everyone. This is, uh, this is who we long to be. This is, um, this is what we're aiming for. Now, do we do it perfectly? Uh, no. Do we have a lot of uh, growing to do in this area? Uh, yes. Um, but we're on the journey. We're on the journey and we're committed uh, to live into this. And so our text for tonight uh, is from Mark chapter two. And um, this is, is one of my favorite passages. It's beautiful. It's the, the story of Jesus eating with some, um, well, some people of questionable moral standing. And so the, the text, just short, just two verses. And it says this, Mark chapter two, verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. It's interesting that the Bible just sort of comes out and like says it. Like, this is sort of how they, like, we wouldn't really, you know, we wouldn't really say that. Like, hey, I noticed last week you're eating with those sinners. You know, like, we wouldn't, you know, it's kind of, we just think it, you know. We don't say that, right? So, um, and so he's, there he is, eating with the, the tax collectors and the sinners. Uh, verse 16, um, or sorry, let me finish verse 15. For there were many who followed him, uh, right? So this is actually who's following Jesus, which I think is beautiful, right? It's, it's not like just some random people. And he's like, okay, I'll give you 15 minutes. Right? But these are like the people who are following him. Uh, and then verse 16, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of the day, uh, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. They asked his disciples. It's interesting that he go to the disciples, right? Not right to Jesus. This is classic human nature. Like, go to, you know, I've got a problem with like Candace. So I'm going to go to Juanita and talk about Candace. I don't really have a problem with Candace. She's great. But you know what I mean? This is right. This is what we do. Right. So they, <laughs> she's offended. Um, and so they ask, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Um, tonight, what I, what I want to unpack, I, I want you let me start here. I want you to see in your mind's eye uh, a pond, a pond. Can you see it? Imaginations are cool. All I have to do is say pond and bloop, right? There's, there it is. And uh, I, I grew up with a pond across the street, so I know, I know ponds. Ponds are, ponds are good. I mean, ponds are fine. Uh, they're kind of, Preston shaking his head no. Preston doesn't like ponds. I like ponds. I'm fine with ponds. But, they're, but I will admit, they're not like, they're kind of almost awesome. But they're, you know, I mean, they're nice because they're, they're kind of, I mean, they're water and the croaking frogs, you know, I mean, that's like a plus, right? Um, but the downside to ponds is they're not very, um, they're not very clean, right? Like, this is the problem. Has anyone ever gone swimming in a pond? <laughs> this is highly questionable. Don't do that. Right, there's the, uh, my, the church uh, I, was, I used to pastor at. Uh, we had a pond outside I got to look out at. And uh, it, was a, it wasn't a great pond. But I mean, it was a pond, right? So it's, that's kind of ponds. They're kind of almost good. And so it was hilarious because people would have to get in there. One time we had young people, like students, got in there for some reason. They weren't supposed to. And they got like tetanus from the pond. <laughs> like, right, this is classic pond. Now, what's the problem? Well, actually, let me go here. Uh, now I want you to see in your mind's eye a river. A river, right? Can you see it? Rushing river, and not like, not a creek. Like a river, like I think Colorado, Arkansas. We probably have to leave Texas for this, right? Uh, so you've got the stones and the water, right? It's flowing. Now, what's the difference between the pond and the river? Well, there are many, but the main thing, Preston knows, Preston's raising his hand. He's like, Preston, what's the difference? A river's clean. Yes. 
the river is clean. And why is the river clean? Because it's got, it's got a source, right? The water flows in and the water flows out, right? And this, here's what I want to contend tonight, is that an exclusive love is sort of like a pond. It's okay, right? And this is what people do, right? Like, hey, I'm going to love my family, right? Or I'm going to love my friends. And that's sort of, and that's not bad, right? That's good. But it's sort of like a pond. It's kind of limited. But God's kind of love, an inclusive love, is like a river. It's like this rushing river that comes in whose, whose source is God, and it flows from God into us, and then out through us to who? Everyone. And that's the best kind of love. Right? It's, an, it's an incredibly inclusive love. And in the passage we looked at here in Mark 2, um, I, I think Jesus is, he's modeling this, right? Because, and I think too, like he's not just, um, I don't think he's just trying to upset the Pharisees. It's not like he's thinking, you know, okay, I know what will really hack those guys off if I'm nice to these people. And so just to jab at them, I'm going to be nice to them. Like it's not, right? He's not playing a, he's not playing a political game. He's not playing a religious game, right? Of look how edgy I can be, right? It's not, this is not about Jesus' ego. I also don't think um, this is actually about like a spiritual game in the sense of um, where people will do this sort of the, the conversion thing. I'm going to convert you and then get kind of a notch on my belt. I'm wearing a good belt for that. It's kind of right. And just kind of like where you're kind of like a number, you know, and, and I don't think this is the game Jesus is playing is the conversion. I'm going to get with those sinners and, you know, feel real good when I win them to the kingdom. Even though later he does talk about, Hey, when they ask him like, well, why, why is he eating with these people? And he says, well, it's, it's sick people who need a doctor, man. Like, what? Right. So he loves them. Right. And I actually think this is what's motivating Jesus It's not politics. It's not he's trying to, you know, score points against the Pharisees or be edgy. He, he, why is he doing this? Because he loves them. He loves them. He's being loving. Right. This is this is God's kind of love. It's an inclusive love. It's like a river that flows um, into us, through us and out of us. And, and what I want to name um, is that uh, Jesus love, it, it comes into us and then through us, it should flow to uh, those that the world might say are not worthy of love, right? The, the marginalized, the voiceless, the, the hurting, right? Those who maybe they say, well, they don't bring any value. And this is what our culture is obsessed with. It's like productivity and value. Like there's valuable people and we'll get to this later. There's the valuable ones, and then there's the not valuable ones, right? And this is often who people don't love, but, but God's kind of love, love flows uh, into us and then out uh, to everyone. Uh, so this got me thinking this week, what is it that like hinders our love? Why, why are we so often kind of a pond? Why am I like a pond-like love uh, instead of a river-like love. And so tonight, I want to give you um, three sort of, um, you can think of them as like paradigms or concepts, three things uh, that hinder our love. Before we jump into that, though, let me go ahead and pray for us. Um, Jesus, we just welcome you here. We acknowledge your presence. And um, God, we just say, thank you for loving us. 
That's what your word says, that while we were sinners, while we were messed up, you loved us really well. And we are incredibly grateful. God, we want that kind of love. So give us ears to hear, that eyes to see it, hearts that are open, and feet that are quick to respond in obedience. It's in the life-changing name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Amen. So three kinds of love. You're a note taker. You can write this down first, uh, or I should say three, three paradigms that hinder our love. Uh, first is superior versus inferior, right? This is the concept. We kind of carve up the world into the, the superior people and the inferior. Now, uh, of course, it's, there's truth in the sense of some people are good at things, other people aren't as good at things, right? And that's not what I'm talking What I'm talking about is not so much at the individual level. I'm talking like when we do this with whole groups, like those people, those are the valuable people, and those are the not, right? That's a good example of the superior and inferior. Uh, you can hear this in the question of the Pharisees to Jesus when they say, why is he eating with them? See, because in the first century, eating, it communicates something, right? It, it says, uh, you and I are equals, Right, you and I are friends, even honestly family. Because if you think about it, like in the first century, there's no restaurants, right? So it's not like you go to the kind of the third party place and it's kind of a neutral site, you know. But and we actually see this later, right? Like Jesus, where, do you remember where he was? He was in whose house? He says he was in Levi's house. He's a tax collector, which is basically the equivalent of like an extortionist or a mobster today. That's who we would call him. He's a bad person. And so he's going to their house, right? And this is the, the power uh, in the first century in particular of eating. Now, I do think this translates to our modern world because um, eating, we know that's like, there is something powerful about that. Some of you came to our event last night, um, the beer and brats event for the table. And that was fun. Yeah, a little shout out. Um, and right, there's something powerful about sitting around eating, connecting, um, it's kind of hard to fight when you're eating, you know, like it's just, you got good vibes flowing through you, you're happy, you know? Um, and, and I was thinking, uh, even like the way, uh, like dating rituals, that's sort of, sort of a weird phrase, but like in, in the sort of modern world, right? Like often you're asking someone out, you don't just jump right to dinner, right? Like, what do you do? Like, it's sort of like coffee. Hey, let's get, let's get coffee. You know, or if you're really not sure, you do like, let's go to the park and walk in a circle, you know, or I can leave quickly, right? Like, but if, because if you were just starting to date someone, you're like, hey, let's go to the fanciest restaurant and have dinner, right? It's kind of like, whoa, oh gosh, we're like kind of, are we like committed here or, right? It's sort of, right? Because there's something about food. There's something kind of vulnerable. There's something about kind of um, almost intimate in, in connecting. Now, of course, it's not um, always romantic, but uh, it's, but, but yeah, I think you see this in what Jesus is doing. And, um, and actually thinking back in my own life, I remember the night um, Maggie and I, uh, my wife, Maggie and I, we, when we were dating, we went on our first kind of like official date. Um, we were 17. Say, ah, thank you. Um, and we were 17. We've been dating for three years. And uh, her parents took a while to trust me, I guess. So it took us a while to go out on our date. But we finally went on the date. And I remember we went to Olive Garden and uh, had their like endless salad and breadsticks. 
I really, I'm a, back, I guess now today, I don't know if it's like great anymore. I haven't been on the ground in quite a while, but back then it was like, yeah. And I remember sitting there across from Maggie and just being like, yes, like we are so connected. Like, I love you so much. Right. And this is, this is sort of one of the powers. Now I think mostly what was there was hormones, but a, a part of it, right, was the food, right, and the eating, and the one-on-one connection, right, because it does, it communicates something powerful, right, it communicates, hey, I'm not better than you, right, this is classic cafeteria at the school, right, who eats with who, it's a statement, right, it says something, who I sit with, who I connect with, and and this is part of a Christ-like love is moving beyond these concepts of of who's, who are the worthy people? It's like, no, that has no place in Christian community. Zero. Like we just, we've got to eliminate this, this whole idea of the superior and the, the inferior um, in our lives. Um, so that's first, superior, inferior. Second uh, is con- the concept for the paradigm of clean versus unclean. Clean versus unclean. I can think back uh, to a, it's sort of a disturbing conversation. There was uh, someone, this is um, many years ago, uh, someone who was like a pillar in, in the church uh, that I knew. And they were, I mean, they were an amazing person. And like, I knew them to be generous, kind. They were involved like um, in helping people and all sorts of things. But I was having this conversation with them and we were started talking about a certain group. I won't say the group, just a certain group of people in the world. And all of a sudden, their face sort of puckered up kind of not in a kissy way, but in a, you know, kind of got that look. And it just, she was just sort of, uh, and I was like, are you okay? And she's like, oh, those people, they're disgusting. That's what she said. I was like, oh gosh. And, and this got me to thinking this week about how we sort of do this, right? We, we have, it's sort of like, we, we consider ourselves like, oh, we're generous. God, we love everyone except those people, right? All of a sudden there's like some group. Now, how do we do this? We kind of carve up the world in interesting ways. Sometimes it can be around socioeconomic status, right? So sort of class, right? The rich and poor thing. It's kind of like, oh, I don't, mm-mm. right. Um, it can be around sexual orientation. Uh, it can be uh, racial, uh, geography, Right? The people who live on that side of town, I don't go over there. Right? Uh, it can be a religious affiliation. Right? So there's sort of the, the good, the pure, the right religions, and then those other people. Right? And this is, we do this. Right? We're, we're tempted to kind of carve up the world um, in this way. And um, this is really what psychologists call uh, uh, disgust. It's the reaction of uh, disgust. You see, because in like coming back to the text in Mark 2, um, the thing about Jesus in that, that sort of social setting, the sinners, quote unquote, it wasn't just that they were morally bad or that they did bad things. You know what it was? It was that they were contaminated. Can you see that? Like, can you hear it in the, the question of the Pharisees? Why is he eating with him? That's sort of back to the eating thing, right? It's sort of like this connection and like, oh my gosh, what if they, you know, like get on you or their stuff. Isn't it? This is what's fascinating to me on this topic is the way the kind of the biological and the social, like when I say biological, I mean like, you know, the physical material and the social get kind of all jumbled up, right? Like why is he eating with them? And cause, cause we might wonder like, well, were they like concerned or with this whole clean unclean, were they concerned about getting like physically dirty? 
or like morally dirty? And I think the answer is like, yes, because it's a sort of strange, you know, because it's because even the way we distance, right? It's kind of like, oh, those, you know what I mean? Can you see how it's a, it's a fascinating thing, this whole concept of clean and unclean. And um, I have a, a friend. He is, um, he doesn't have much money. He lives in a um, not great part of town. Uh, when I first met him, he was living on the streets. And he's honestly, he, um, he's one of the most gentle people I know. Uh, I suspect in heaven, um, he'll definitely have a high rank. He'll be, he'll be like inviting me over to his mansion, you know. <laughs> but, um, but in this world, uh, he has a hard life. And he's got a number of uh, mental disorders. And so um, we've known each other for probably 10 years. And I, I have this little interaction with him on the phone where consistently we try to call each other each week just to check in on him because he lives in this apartment in Denton right now. It's, it's um, a not nice apartment. And he lives there alone and he can just get kind of lonely and kind of in his head, you know, so I'll just check in and give him a call. And so we talk and I'm always intentional at the end of those conversations um, to say, hey, man, hey, I love you. I love you. Because I kind of suspect he probably doesn't have a lot of people right in his life who say that. Hey, I love you. And depending on his context, like if he's on a cell phone, he's out in public then sometimes he won't say it back. But other times when he's at home, then he'll say, like, hey, thank you. I love you, too. You know. Um, but here's the thing, um, because of his, some of his disorders, um, he doesn't, uh, bathe much, not as much as he should, especially when he, when he gets off his meds. And so after a few weeks, it's pretty strong and he's kind of unaware of like his body in a way. So he like gets crumbs and things like in his beard, you know, and doesn't like clean them out. And then hair and stuff, you know, on his like hoodie because he doesn't, he's not switching out the hoodie, you know? And so when we see each other in person, I go to pick him up at his apartment and I'll get out of my car and he's like coming down, right? And he sees me and he says, hey man, it's so good to see you. And I always, I mean, I don't think there's been one time that I haven't had a little moment of hesitation, just a little internal. And, and he'll spread his arms wide. He's like, bro, it's so good to see you. And I had this little moment. And, and in that moment, here's the question. What kind of love will I have? What kind of love will I embody in that moment? Is my love a pond? with the high walls of clean, cleanliness and orderliness? Or, or is my love sourced in God? Is it a God kind of love that flows out to everyone? And I'll look at him and I'll say, hey, dude. Bring it in. <laughs> you know, we have this, you know, this moment. And, and, and what I've been reflecting on uh, is the types of, of people we are. 
and the types of people we are tempted to be and what kind of a world we have created. Because again, if you ask, like, what are you afraid of in that moment, right? This is what psychologists, they would call it, um, it's, it's called core disgust. It's, it's sort of like, you know, hair in the food kind of thing. If you've been ever had the soup moment at the restaurant, you know, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, some of you have pained looks right now. You know, that just, oh, I mean, God forbid it gets in your mouth. It just, oh, right. That's sort of, um, but there's this quote from a, a Christian psychologist and therapist um, and a theologian, his name's Richard Beck. He says this, um, similar to core disgust, Social disgust is triggered when the unclean, socially speaking, crosses a boundary and comes into contact with a group identified as clean. Right, this is what the Pharisees were freaking out about. And this is what we do in our world in our own ways, right? Because it's very easy to read stories like this about those Pharisees and just roll our eyes like, oh my gosh, what terrible people, right? And then we're standing there before the person and it's the moment of hesitation, right? So that's second. So superior, inferior, clean, unclean. Third paradigm uh, is sameness, Verse difference, sameness, verse difference. Um, wh why does our love get hindered? I think sometimes it's the whole superior inferior thing. We want to hang out with the cool people, <laughs> you know. Sometimes it's the clean unclean thing. We want to be around the folks that are well put together, and you know all that. Uh, but sometimes it's really. I think honestly, this this third one is probably the most common because it's just sort of in our world. It's just like it's. It operates almost just completely subconsciously, I think. That if you ask someone, like I've heard people, I've had two two moments. One is, have you ever had this moment where you like organize like a get together, like lunch or something, maybe at the office or whatever. And someone will come up to you like, hey, why did you invite so-and-so? You ever had that moment? Right now, what is that about? Well, it's it's about this idea, right? There's There's certain people and they're just sort of, you know, my kind of people. You know what I mean? Right? Can you, I mean, have you heard yourself say this? Like, yeah, I know. I, I don't have, right? We get this idea. That just, that's just, and then we say like, well, why? Why are they your kind of people? Oh, I mean, you know, reason, you know, just, they're just my kind of people. You know, and really what we mean is, I think, honestly, sometimes we're not even conscious of it. Like, I'm not sure what, but I think what's going on there is it's about sameness and difference. That the truth is we're just sort of drawn to people who are like us, right? Isn't it really nice when it's like, I can't with this person, and we have like all these interests in common, and they look like me, and preferably make about the same money I make, and I mean, if you've seen this in friendships, right, where someone's sort of the same, and then all of a sudden they jump up in socioeconomic status, right, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, uh oh, and there's different, it's like, oh, you're not really my kind of people anymore, you know what I mean? This is what we do, this, this sameness difference. It could be because this is, yeah, I'm drawn to the people who are like me, look like me, have my religious background, share my beliefs, have my politics, look like me. You know, like all of these ways that we're just sort of drawn towards the similar uh, and the same. Uh, but what does the river of God's love do uh, it breaks down 
the high wall of the stranger, of the different, of the unfamiliar, and it pushes us out beyond our comfort zones into relationships with people very different than ourselves. There's a, a passage, I'll close with this, um, uh, that I love. It's my favorite, it's my favorite of all passages. Matthew chapter 25, the story of Jesus and he's talking about the sheep and the goats. I have to mention this passage every third sermon, at least. <laughs> the sheep and the goats. And there's Jesus, it's Judgment Day scene. And he carves up the whole room and he says, these are the sheep and these are the goats. And they're both kind of like, what? How did you make this line? What? Who are you to judge? You know, he's like, well, I'm the judge. <laughs> right, so... So here they are, and we wonder, like, well, on what basis are you saying? Now, by the way, the sheep are sort of the, in the biblical world, would be kind of the innocent ones, and then the goats are kind of nasty and kind of rude. If you've ever been around a goat, they really are super rude. And so you got sheep and the goats. And uh, they, he says, um, well, they ask, like, well, what, on what basis? And he says, well, I was hungry. And I was thirsty. You gave me something to eat and something to drink. I, I was sick. You visited me. I was in prison. You came and talked with me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger. And you welcomed me in. And they all, the whole both groups say, uh, we think you're mistaken. We never actually saw you. And you remember his response? He says, what you did to the least of these, my brothers and my sisters, you did to me. And I think what's fascinating about this story is that Jesus is naming that he's hiding, that he's hiding in the unclean that he's hiding in the inferior and in the stranger. I love this quote from Richard Beck. He says, strangers are strange. <laughs> and that makes us uncomfortable, which makes the God who comes to us in strangers strange, unfamiliar, and uncomfortable. Let me read that again. That's worth pondering. Strangers are strange, and that makes us uncomfortable. You know, they're just not really my kind of people. Which, Which makes the God who comes to us in strangers strange and unfamiliar and uncomfortable. And my brothers and sisters, um, this is who the table will be. We will be in an inclusive place where the stranger is welcome. And yes, we're going to have to push through a lot of paradigms and mental blocks and aversions. And I mean, because we're humans, we're human beings. And yet we're going to have to push through and be the people Jesus has called us to be. This is, that's, this is who we're going to be. And we're not going to get it right all the time, but we're on the journey. On the journey. You bow your heads, close your eyes, maybe pray over us. Uh, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you come to us in surprising ways. That right when we think we've got you figured out, you upend our little worlds. 
And right when we think we've found, you know, our people, uh, you come in and push us out beyond those comfortable boundaries and borders. And so, God, right now, um, we just say yes to your work. In, in fact, if you're here today and you just, you can sense God kind of speaking to you. And you know he's calling you out beyond yourself. You know, out beyond the normal boundaries and the normal comfort zones. Um, I want to invite you... Uh, just open up your hands right there on your lap and just say this prayer. God, change me. Change my heart. Transform my pond-like love into a river of living water, of kindness and compassion and generosity. Help me not to turn away those that you are hiding in. Transform me. Body, soul, and spirit. It's the powerful and life-changing name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.